to episode 22 of the Lady Science Podcast. This podcast is a monthly deep dive on topics centered on women and gender in the history and popular culture of science. With you every month are the editors of Lady Science Magazine. I'm Anna Reeser, co-founder and co-editor-in-chief of Lady Science. I'm a historian, writer, and editor, and I study 20th century American culture and the history of the American space program in the 1960s. And I'm Layla McNeil, the other founder and editor-in-chief of Lady Science. Uh, And I'm Rebecca Ortenberg, Lady Science's managing editor. When I'm not working with the Lady Science team, I can be found writing about museums and public history around the internet. So a little bit of housekeeping before we get into it. Um, So first, we've changed up our website a bit, which you've noticed if you've been to the site recently. And so without boring you with too many details, I'll just say that... um, We no longer have a monthly issue. Instead, we've moved all essays that would have been included in the issue to a new features section. And you can still expect all the same kinds of content, history, women, gender, science, all that stuff. Um, It's just under a different banner of features. And so that brings me to number two, which is we have a new associate editor. Her name is Haley Weiss, and she'll be taking over our features section. So if you have an idea for a feature, send her your pitches at Haley at LadyScience.com. And lastly, we have some changes in our Patreon. So all the patrons previously got an early release of the monthly issue as a Patreon reward. But since we don't have the issue anymore, you'll be getting Patreon, sorry, patron-only videos each month which will give you a sneak peek into what we'll be releasing in the course of that month. And of course, you can find our Patreon page and give us money there at patreon.com slash ladyscience. Okay, so uh, to get into the back-to-school season mood, um, we're spending this episode talking about science education and the history of science on television. Um, We've previously covered depictions of scientists in adult fiction on the podcast, including an entire episode about Star Trek, um, another one about the best and worst depictions of women scientists in film and TV, and one about our favorite television show called The Midwife. Um, But today we want to talk about how science made its way onto television as entertainment and education um, for both kids and adults. Uh, So we'll be covering some of the classic science television of the 20th and 21st centuries. We'd planned to have historian of science Ingrid Okert on the episode to talk about uh, history of science television programs, but that interview went very long, Uh, so we're releasing that interview with Ingrid as a bonus episode uh, soon after this episode drops, so you're going to get double the uh, science education on TV fun. Uh, which is awesome. Um, And so there's a lot of science education media out there. Uh, So for this episode, just to keep ourselves relatively focused, we've decided to talk about just a couple of different television shows that we remember from our childhoods, as well as one or two more recent examples. Uh, So let's get into it. Okay, well, I want to talk about the Magic School Bus because I love the Magic School Bus. Yay! And it was very fun to watch a little bit of it while I was uh, working on this episode. And the theme song just makes me so happy. So the, uh, the first episode of the Magic School Bus TV show aired in 1994. And 
if you were a book fair, scholastic book fair <laughs> devotee in your yes, youth. Yes, ma'am. Words. Yes. I love book fair. <laughs> you will, <laughs> yeah, you'll know that the Magic School West was originally a series of very excellent picture books that are written by Joanna Cole and illustrated by Bruce Deegan. And, you know, the books uh, and the show both follow a zany school teacher, Miss Frizzle, and her third grade class. And they learn about everything from spiders to outer space, chemistry, recycling. Uh, I looked through the Wikipedia uh, list of episodes. There is one uh, of the TV show on salmon migration. Nice. So check that out. <laughs> uh, and so Miss Frizzle's class learns about all these interesting things by taking field trips in her magic school bus, which does all kinds of fantastical things like shrinking down to enter Arnold's body when he's sick or transforming into a spaceship to visit the planets in which another bad thing also happens to Arnold in that episode. Poor Arnold. I feel like Arnold goes through a lot of stuff. And, he really does. and he's and like isn't he the one who's always like, oh God, what's gonna happen this time? Yes. <laughs> he's the one who's always so nervous. Like yes. I would be Arnold if I was on the magic school bus because I'd be like so many things could go horribly wrong yeah. in this situation. My head could be frozen into a block of ice on Pluto. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the the series was adapted for the book series was adapted for television by Scholastic who published the books and uh was supported by the National Science Foundation. And it did like compared to some of the other things we're going to talk about, it wasn't like it's weird because in my mind it's huge, but it wasn't as pop- popular or like was massively well received as some of the right. other things we'll talk about. But it did get lots of individual Emmy nominations, uh, and Lily Tomlin won one. She won a daytime Emmy for her performance of Miss Frizzle, which is an iconic role. Oh. Good for you, Lily Tomlin. <laughs> And uh, in 2017, The Magic School Bus sort of returned as a Netflix series, like many things that we didn't necessarily need Netflix to give us again. (laughs) And there have been two seasons of that, and I have not seen any of it because I just, it's not the same, so. (laughs) Uh, One thing um, I want to note that we'll uh, also get into a little bit in our interview with Ingrid um, but uh, that this reminded me too is just basically how much like really good publicly funded television, educational but also like super entertaining television is is out there, and and I feel like I don't know I'm obvi- I'm not a kid and I don't have kids so maybe there's still is great stuff but I do feel like like the seventies eighties not early nineties was like this seems to have been this peak uh, time for uh, PBS. I mean, like, I didn't realize that the the National Science Foundation supported the magical, uh, the magic school bus. Uh, it also, it, yeah, it feels really kind of strange and archaic, too. Like, I yeah. guess public television feels that way for a lot of people anyway, but especially, like, with the, making the sharp contrast of it, like, coming back on Netflix, yeah, I think is kind of a illustration of, you know, we're definitely in a different era of television. Yeah. Uh, and of, like, children's television and, like, educational television, where, you know, we're kind of relying on places like Netflix to, like, pick up this kind of work because there's, you know, 
less interest or less funding for like publicly supported TV like this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I love about Magic School Bus is the longevity that it's had, um, especially like the way I think Miss Frizzle has become some sort of like legendary woman with among women in science <laughs> yes. today. And, like, how people make homemade Miss Frizzle dresses. Yeah. Um, like, I guess for anyone who hasn't seen it or doesn't remember, like, each episode, Miss Frizzle had a different dress on that somehow went along with whatever they were going to explore that day. And, like, I think also is that she has kind of this just, like, unhinged curiosity <laughs> <laughs> that I think... Um, you know, goes really nice with her, all of her bananas dresses and stuff. But that, I think that that kind of, um, enthusiasm in all regards of Miss Frizzle has made her, like, given her this legendary status today. And I think that that's really neat. I mean, that's a thing that I feel like I have seen on Twitter or maybe have heard from, like, friends of mine who are in the sciences about, like, women presenting at conferences and, like, in their Miss Frizzle dresses or, you know, giving talks in their, like, Miss Frizzle dress that they made or whatever, and that that's, like, you know, it's, like, a a signifier for everybody who, you know, who knows the Magic School West as, like, like you say, this kind of, like, unbridled, just, like, joy mm-hmm. about being in science and, like, I don't know. It's really nice. Yeah, I think it's really cool. And I think it's also, like... I think it's important that it was a, a woman that was Miss Frizzle and that it was a woman who voiced her. And I think it's also really neat that it was Lily Tomlin, who's also gay. Mm-hmm. I think that, that those types of representations, like both as the characters are drawn themselves and then who is also voicing them, also is important. Yeah. And like they both, like both Miss Frizzle and Lily Tomlin, like have crazy curly hair and Mm -hmm. outsized personalities and take up a lot of like space and and I think that mad and also are like and especially and like Miss Frizzle in particular is just kind of unapologetically feminine in the way she takes up a lot of space like they're Miss Frizzle dresses and and like it's just there there's something that's very like I'm going to be weird and wacky and and female in public about science that's Mm -hmm. kind of great. Yeah. Yeah. And she always has cool earrings that match her dresses. Yes. That have planets on them or something. Yes. And they glow things. I love it. (laughs) Yes. I guess in the same vein with representation, like the children Mm -hmm. on the school bus. Yeah. Um, Like Arnold is Jewish Wanda is Chinese, and there are two black characters, and there's more girls than boys on the bus, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. It feels very, like, deliberate to me in the same way that, uh, like, we had talked about some of the, uh, like, the uh, children's television workshop. They were very, they were, like, in creating their shows, like Sesame Street and stuff, they're very deliberate about, like, making sure that the, like, the kids and then the guests and and uh, people that come on the show, like, specifically going out and looking for 
you know, mm-hmm. people of color and women to fill roles that we might not otherwise do. And that, like, <laughs> it's just kind of wild to me that we... We are having all these ridiculous conversations about whether, you know, the Little Mermaid can be black or not now. And like, but we have stuff like this from, you know, the 80s yeah. where it's just, yeah. this is the way where we make children's television. And this is like how yeah. it's done. And we seem to have slid so far away from that. Well, and it's strange because like now as an adult, I can recognize the importance of making those decisions and being deliberate about that. Mm-hmm. But like as a kid, I didn't know any of that right. like I didn't see it as being some sort of like deliberate thing yeah to yeah. get me to see like it was just the thing that I saw and like I think that there's this weird when people complain about the little mermaid stuff or like Hermione being black or whatever like none of these people are real anyway so get a grip yeah right? but <laughs> like that you know there's this whole thing about manipulating children by indoctrinating them with diversity or like gay superheroes or whatever. And it's like, kids don't know, like kids are going to watch what's in front of them. And if that happens to reflect a more diverse world in which they live, then that's what it does. But yeah. And all of these things are choices. And I think that's, that's the other thing that like these obnoxious conversations about, uh, diversity in media these days um miss is that all of yeah all of these things are choices and the there isn't we don't get spontaneous diversity because we live in a world (laughs) that doesn't let us be spontaneously diverse and and the places where like these kinds like the fact the fact that uh the children's television workshop built shows like Sesame Street and said we have to put effort into making sure that we have representation and that uh, Magic School Bus was built where people are saying we have to make an effort and um for representation um I think it's really important to acknowledge that uh because unfortunately because of the world we live in we're not in a place where yeah it spontaneously happens and if we're spontaneous about it we often end up with a lot of white people yeah i think it's interesting too that i i imagine that lots of people uh who are complaining about black ariel or black hermione or whatever there being black characters in historical video games like don't have a problem with these things from their childhood. Like, they right. don't look back on the Magic School Bus and are like, well, why Why does Arnold have to be Jewish? I right. mean, come on. Like, they're not looking back like that. So mm-hmm. it's just like a product of our particular moment. I mean, we live in hell, obviously. So... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I... It's interesting, when I was kind of looking around for stuff on uh, the Magic School Bus, it's weird the way that it you know I think it exists in all our minds as like a beloved thing from childhood but it's sort of like online presence is just like it's weird it's like it's the magic school bus like people were mad about the reboot because of various things and they they kind of look like they did it kind of cheaply and the animation wasn't very good and people were upset about that but there nobody (laughs) as far as I have found has ever said anything bad about the Magic School Bus <laughs> ever. <laughs> and it's incredible. And it's because it's so pure and because people put so much sort of care into mm-hmm. it to make this piece of children's media 
you know, inclusive mm-hmm. and interesting and, you know, visually exciting. I don't know. Well, I think one of the things, like, with Sesame Street, Magic School Bus, all this resurgence with Mr. Rogers and stuff mm-hmm. like that is that, like, we had all this great, like you said, public programming, educational programming in the 80s and 90s. And I think we became saturated with, like, dark things on TV mm-hmm. and that that was what made good TV and I feel like there's now a pushback against that because we are living in hell yeah <laughs> that we actually don't I think we're we're tired of it we're tired of being saturated with things that make us feel bad and so there I think there's this resurgence of things that made us feel good yeah. like from from that time yeah <laughs> like because all the stuff with Mr. Rogers rebooting Magic School Bus rebooting She-Ra yes. on Netflix as well like all of these things that were good that promoted good things like kindness and positivity and stuff like that like a return to that I think is really nice okay I I we can move on because I just I got really excited I wanted to talk about like all the the jokes that are in the background of the (laughs) the (laughs) illustrations and like the matte paintings for the show but we don't need to get into that but I think I am gonna get a couple of magic school bus books from the library (laughs) just for kicks because they really do make me feel very happy so let's move on to something else okay so we can talk about uh bill nye the science guy um who uh this show first aired in 1993 in syndication with disney and it aired on pbs um beginning in 1994 and overall there were 100 episodes um and Bill Nye is the center of the show, the host, and the show uses his name, obviously. It's a distinct format from other kinds of science programming, like the Magic School Bus, and it made Nye into a celebrity scientist. And at the time, and I don't think a lot of people actually know this, that uh, Nye wasn't a working scientist at the time. And I guess uh, Anna's favorite... <laughs> petty pendant thing is that Nye was never a scientist. He was an engineer. (laughs) What is science? (laughs) At the time um, when he developed the show. So, um, and he was actually pursuing a career in comedy then. And doing the show is what sort of led him back to science. And he started working with the Planetary Society and the Mars Exploration Rover after the show, as well as writing some popular science books. And so this is kind of a weird thing from the Wikipedia article. It says, quote, Nye plays a hyperkinetic, tall and slender scientist wearing a blue lab coat and bow tie. I don't know why that description of his body was so necessary. I don't know. I just put it in there because it's so weird. There's a lot of weird Um, stuff you can read about Bill Nye. So everyone has probably seen the show. Um, The format is kind of a sketch show with a cold open where Nye performs as a zany scientist doing experiments. And um, he parodies musical numbers and interviews scientists. And um, he also had celebrity guests on the show. Um, People like Kenny G (laughs) and and Bob Ross (laughs) and uh, Christopher Walken. And um, the show was super successful with 19 daytime Emmys. And uh, many for Nye himself as the performer and writer. So this was one that I probably, that and Magic School Bus were probably like the two science programming shows that I watched like continuously and religiously as a kid, I think. Yeah, same here. Definitely. I think one of the 
I'm wondering what you guys think about this. Because so there's so Bill Nye the Science Guy is known, I think, notorious for the absurdly high level of energy of it. Like, like it's just like it's 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 like a kid it's kind who of ate frenetic. too much. Yeah, it's frenetic. Yeah. It's a kid who ate too much candy for like 23 minutes straight. Um, and there is, in some ways, a similar like a lot going on high energiness to the Magic School Bus, but maybe it's because it's aesthetically different. It seems both of those do seem to tap into different kinds of isn't science cool kinds of things. And I feel like in retrospect, I am more in favor of the Magic School Bus version of it, though I'm not sure I can articulate exactly why. Uh, and I'm curious if you guys have thoughts about the freneticness of both of those and the wacky science-ness of both of those and how they're different. Yeah, I think, like, for me, like, this is just, like, a personal aesthetic thing, but, what, like, as a kid... I watched, like, a little bit of Bill Nye, but not nearly as much as um, Magic School Bus or other things. And I think, for me, it was because, apart from, like, Mr. Rogers, I just, di- I just didn't care about adults, like, telling me <laughs> stuff uh, until I was, like, a little bit older and then started just watching, like, a bunch of UFO documentaries. <laughs> but, like, at, like, Magic School Bus age, Bill Nye age, and they came out, like, really close together. Yeah. I just was like, who is this guy? <laughs> He's like loud. And I, you know, I'm not really interested in hearing him talk about things. And I just like, uh, I wasn't allowed to watch a lot of stuff when I was a kid. And so there were a lot of like jokes and things and like the musical references and stuff that just like went way over my head because I was not allowed to be like plugged into <laughs> popular culture enough to understand like, all the jokes, and so I was just like, well, yeah, so, I don't know, one thing that I wanted to just ask about is, like, I think one of the things that, there has been, I couldn't find any, like, not scholarly research on the Magic School Bus, it doesn't seem Mm -hmm. like there's at least a master's thesis out there for somebody who's interested in science and media, but there is just, like, an unbelievable amount of stuff around about Bill Nye and it's because it was probably so much more famous and because there's like a celebrity involved but like I just thought we should maybe talk a little bit about like and this has been talked about before like does it matter that kids are maybe being introduced to the idea of being a scientist or of doing science or what's interesting about science by Bill Nye the science guy like does that matter yeah um I think it does. Uh, I think it matters sort of in in the all the representational ways that we talk about a lot. But I think it also matters for kind of it's the value placed on it by our larger culture and Bill Nye as a person's ability to tap into his celebrity. Like, I think that that's almost what what makes it matter the most is is that. Bill Nye is able to position himself as an authority in a lot of different ways um, because he's a white dude, because he's a tall white dude, um, because he's a tall... And he wears the lab coat. Yeah, because he's mm-hmm. a tall, rich, white dude in a lab coat. Um, and, like, like, we can kind of trace 
the uh, the cultural influence of Bill Nye in a lot of different things. Uh, and so he feels more famous. Uh, whereas Magic School Bus almost feels like it has like this more like subconscious like running through through our culture because I feel like you can make a Miss Frizzle reference or a Magic School Bus reference in so many different contexts and like people will know what you're talking about uh but but it doesn't have like the cultural bigness of this dude who goes and fights with creationists and had a wacky tv show in the 90s um and is a guy who wears a lab coat and blows stuff up well, and I think that speaks to, like, the difference of the types of show that it is. Mm-hmm. Like, is Magic School Bus is a cartoon. Yeah. Lily Tomlin is an actor. Yeah. You know, um, that has a limited, yeah. <laughs> you know, way that it can speak to itself and for itself. Whereas Bill Nye, as being a person <laughs> who is still alive... Right. And has a celebrity is able to continue to tap into the image of himself as Bill Nye, the science guy from our childhoods, and plug that into different things now. Like, he's able to continue that story and that celebrity in a way that, like, of course, Magic School Bus cannot do. Yeah. Yeah. And I think he, like, the character of Bill Nye, the science guy, is also, like, a very it's a stereotyped and kind of like iconic image of the scientist. And it's one that has existed in the United States for basically all of the 20th century. Uh, yeah. That this, like the like zany absent minded, uh, weird, like mad scientist kind of figure. Um, that's something like, (laughs) There's a very famous study from 1957 uh, by Margaret Mead and uh, Rhoda Metro called Image of the Scientist Among High School Students. And they did this like survey of high school students to get an impression of what they thought a scientist looked like and did. And the results are kind of like what you would imagine. <laughs> they don't yeah, think yeah. that women were scientists. But there is this image of the scientist as like, a zany character who's very eccentric and stuff that Bill and I like super taps into that. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. I think that that, and like you said, he's a real person. And so you, (laughs) you see Bill Nye in the context of Bill Nye, the science guy, but you also see him like on the daily show, (laughs) right? you know, and on various late night TV and debating, you know, creationists in Australia or whatever. I feel like he's had a, um, and obviously I, I don't know what his inner thought world is about <laughs> the character that he has created and can't seem to kill or escape or anything now. I just want to become so meta at this point. But like, I feel like he has had a hard time breaking away from that very popular image of Bill Nye the Science Guy into something a little bit more serious, mm-hmm. um, which is why... You know, he goes on The Daily Show, puts on the image of Bill Nye, but then says fuck. Yeah. You know, right. like um, trying to, in a way, 
upgrade that image or change that image while still tapping into it at the same time. And I think he tried to do that with this show that he had on Netflix, which was more aimed at adults, mm-hmm. which sucks, by the way. <laughs> like yeah. having people on the show that he interviews that have no right or no expertise talking about what they're talking about. Like that um, there's, I think he's had a hard time breaking away from that image into something more serious that I think maybe he wanted to be, which is maybe why he did that interview with Ken Ham. Um, you know, stuff like yeah. that. I think that the, the image of him as Bill Nye has become bigger, this like untamed monster that yeah. he can't put back in the box. Yeah. 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 And one thing I wanted to say about that, about the like new Netflix show and interviewing people who have no expertise about anything, uh, Bill Nye doesn't have a lot of expertise about stuff either. Like, mm-hmm. like I said, he's not a scientist. <laughs> he's an engineer and he hasn't been working as an engineer for decades. And like, he is not, he's not an expert on climate change. He like, he's not a climate scientist. Like he's not a biologist, you know, he like, I think the, the persona of Bill Nye, the science guy as this, like, as an all-knowing scientist, like a generalist who is an expert in everything. Like that's what the character is basically. Like you said, because it's so difficult for him to separate away his persona as the science guy from Bill Nye the dude, like Mm -hmm, people mm -hmm. still give him the benefit of the doubt of being an expert about everything he opens his mouth about. And that's why he gets to go (laughs) go on, you know, around everywhere and be an expert at, at everything. And it's you know, I guess it's good when he's, you know, telling people to vaccinate their kids or that climate change is real, but, like, there is this kind of, like, hyper-concentrated scientific authority that has been funneled into the image of Bill Nye, the science guy, which I think is really weird. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, like, it's it's fine that he's not a scientist. It's fine that yeah. he's really a comedian yeah. who once worked as an engineer for a little while. But, and like, it's fine, you know, we have, you know, science communication and science journalism as a separate career exists and is fine and good and there's a lot of great people doing that stuff out there. Uh, but I think there is a difference between being a science communicator who sort of imbues yourself with the authority of I am a scientist who happens to know every kind of science ever and being a science communicator who says I'm the one who's going to teach you some stuff about science that I learned from these cool scientists over here uh yeah and and there are so many good examples of of the second version of that in the world um Many of the women uh, that um, version that the that version number one, whether they are working scientists or not, is increasingly exhausting. Yeah, and like you know, for the most part, like I don't mind Bill Nye. Right. Like I don't have some sort of like hatred towards him. Like as far as I know, he's never sexually harassed anyone. <laughs> I don't think there's any accusations floating around about that. He's gone on TV and has argued with, you know, um, anti-abortion people and arguing the science of abortion. Like, he's done good stuff like that, I think. Right. Um, harnessing his Bill Nye image for good. Right, right. <laughs> um, as far as I know, he hasn't been, like, openly racist. <laughs> or something so like I don't I don't mind him and I think it's just that 
that there's there is this like issue of expertise and continuing to harness an image of like a white guy in a lab coat that doesn't that feels old and tired and not necessary anymore but talking i guess about people who do have sexual harassment (laughs) charges against them moving moving deeper into both problematic dudes and also the problematic nature of the celebrity scientist um we are going to talk about cosmos uh both a tiny bit about uh original cosmos um but mostly perhaps unfortunately about the (laughs) more recent cosmos reboot uh, so the original Cosmos, which was titled Cosmos, colon, A Personal Voyage, um, was a beloved documentary series uh, that first aired in 1980. Um, it was written by the scientist Carl Sagan, who I believe at the time was already kind of had celebrity science scientist status. And if not, it certainly mm-hmm. like exploded after this. Um, and it was also written with um, Andrewian and Steven Soder. Um, Sagan himself hosted the series, which it was 13 parts and covered a pretty wide variety of topics, uh, everything from the structure of the galaxy to the human brain to nuclear warfare. And for people who haven't seen it, um, which I recommend you do, it's like out in the universe no pun intended, um, (laughs) in many digital places. Um, But it has this, like, really dreamy 70s, early 80s feel to it, and it's really imbued with with Carl Sagan's particular, like, old scientist hippie mojo. Um, And a lot of, like, I feel like the theme of it is that the universe is this amazing place that we should all understand better, and also maybe we shouldn't destroy it with nuclear weapons. Um, Because, again, this is made in the late 70s, early 80s. Anti-nuclear proliferation and uh, the, oh my god, Society of Concerned Scientists? That's not what it's called. the, anyway, a lot of scientists were talking about, uh, including Carl Sagan, were talking about, like, nuclear weapons are going to destroy us all. Let's not do that, maybe, please. Um, so it was imbued with a lot of that. And a lot of corduroy and turtlenecks yes, as well. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, if you've seen any pictures of, if you've only seen one picture of Carl Sagan, it's him wearing corduroy and turtlenecks and a really weird bull haircut. Um, <laughs> that is delightful. Uh So, in 2014, um, Cosmos was rebooted as Cosmos colon A Space-Time Odyssey, um, and it was presented by Neil deGrasse Tyson, um, who, much like Carl Sagan, was at the time already a public figure and a celebrity scientist. Um, Interestingly, um, Andrian and Steven Soder also wrote this version and were heavily involved in its making, um, which makes the fact that it's rather different in a lot of different ways, uh, kind of interesting. Um, so this version uh, presents some of the same topics as Sagan's original, um, but also dives a little more heavily into the history of science. Uh, the original one did some of it, but the new one uh, did that a little bit more. Uh, And in fact, uh, the opening episode um, kicked off a small controversy on historian Twitter regarding its presentation of 16th century philosopher um, Giordano Bruno. Uh, Giordano Bruno was burned at the stake as a heretic by the Catholic Church 
And so the show kind of makes uh, Bruno into this like rational hero who was killed for believing that the earth went around the sun. Uh, he did believe that, but he also believed a whole lot of other stuff that the Catholic Church like kind of hates. Like he, be- I was looking things up about him to remind myself, and he believed in reincarnation, um, among other things. So the Catholic, like, obviously shouldn't have gotten birth the stake. The 16th century Catholic Church was a hot mess. Um, but like, they weren't murdering him because he was like this scientific radical. They were murdering him because he was a pain in their ass. So this episode drops. And historian Twitter gets very, very mad about it. Um, And frankly, historian Twitter got super obnoxious about it. (laughs) But I do want to say that I feel like the fact that the uh, series kicked off with this idea that there is rational science on one hand that has always been fighting against ignorance, often in the form of religious ignorance, and uh, that rational science is the way forward, kind of imbues this whole series in a way that, especially for me in retrospect, is just really exhausting. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that um, one of the things Anna had said was like this new atheist flavor to the series. And I think what's, what's bad about that, especially if it's trying to traffic in some history of science, is that um, a lot of the historical characters that he has on his show were religious people. Mm-hmm. They believed in God. They were like, and he doesn't mention any of that at all. And still st- by starting it off in this kind of framework, science versus religion kind of elides the fact that a lot of these people that he honors in this show were devoutly religious. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and I think that that like that as a historian of science, that is a, like a big problem and something absolutely worth like critiquing uh I think for me the larger issue with that isn't necessarily like a historical accuracy one it's a it it's the way that to me it looks like it's pandering to a kind of like you said it's like new atheist crowd which is is you know on the one terrible hand, terrible and awful, yeah. and they're all mean. Yeah. yeah, on the one hand, led by a bunch <laughs> of like ridiculous bigots like <laughs> Richard Dawkins and yeah. Sam Harris, and on the other hand, is like is kind of tied into these like a sort of internet underbelly kind of misogynist cultures. Like mm-hmm. it's yeah, you know, we don't need to like get into a whole taxonomy of. <laughs> bad bad dudes on the internet but you know i think that um repeatedly framing this history as one of like science versus religion and rationality versus irrationality uh plays to that crowd in a way that um i think science communicators need to be much more careful about because they're Mm -hmm. feeding into you know like richard dawkins like blatant islamophobia Mm -hmm. and you know Things like that. I think that that's, like, a real problem. So if the original Cosmos sort of central, moral, we have to save the world from X, from ourselves argument was about nuclear annihilation, uh, this Cosmos, the sort of existential and man-made threat is climate change. 
And, uh, and like, that makes a lot of sense. That makes both, like, sure. moral sense and scientific sense and storytelling sense. But I think it makes kind of this framing of there are rational, stupid people over here and scientists who know the truth over here, like, more frustrating because there has been a lot of work out there about how that is not the best way to combat climate change. Um, right. It probably wouldn't have been the best way to combat nuclear annihilation, which is not, which is why the original one right. was not framed that way. Um, and that is troubling when the stakes feel so high. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, and like there's, like you said, Rebecca, research is, you know, shows that that's actually not the best way to talk to people about climate change. Yeah. And like, I think Catherine Hayhoe is doing like kind of leading the charge on that because she comes from a religious background, Great. a pretty conservative religious background. And she doesn't, she hasn't like thrown off the shackles of her religious upbringing in favor of climate change. She uses them both yeah. to try to bridge this gap. Um, and I think that, you know, that's, that's a strategy that needs to, I think, to have a little bit, hold a little bit more water mm -hmm. with some of these like celebrity scientists um, that get a little, take up a little too much air. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. I think my main problem, of course, with this series was the way that's treatment of women um, and how it got like women got like sequestered into one episode. <laughs> um, and I think even in the, and it was about um, the women computers at Harvard. So people that we all know quite a bit about, I think at this point, A.A. Jump Cannon and that lot. Um, and I, Cecilia Payne as well. And I believe in the commercial for that episode, they described Cecilia Payne as like an English beauty. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I um, remember that. Yeah. 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 So like a lot of problems with one, sequestering women to one episode instead of integrating them into the larger story that they're telling throughout the series yeah. is a big problem, I think. Um, the other problem is the, with the episode itself. Like, it starts off with a um, myth about the Pleiades, which is a rape story. Like, God, the I Pleiades were sisters who were fleeing from someone trying to rape them. That's how the episode starts. <laughs> and he ends the episode sitting around a campfire, toasting a glass of wine to women in science. <laughs> God, I'd forgotten about that framing. I remember having lots of complicated feelings about that episode, but um, I'd forgotten that framing. Oh boy, yeah. I think it's something that we, we talk about, you know, probably ad nauseum on the podcast and for the magazine, the this idea of like, if you're teaching a course, you have a week on women. If you're making a TV show, you have one episode on women. And that, like, that that's, like, the bare minimum um, meeting, like, the expectation of, like, well, we have to talk about women or people will get mad. But if we talk about women too much, then other people will get mad. So our solution is to just, like, cram it all into one week. And like we said, it just... it further reifies this idea that women are sort of only sparsely available in the history of science and that they they only made, you know, very sort of uh, isolated, specific contributions and they... Marginal. Marginal, yeah. and that they 
any like any contribution by somebody like your Marie Curie's or your Annie Jump Cannon like were the exception to the rule mm-hmm. and that they were like remarkable outliers like if you make them a, an outlier in the framing of whatever wh- how whatever format you're presenting them in like then they will c- continue to be perceived that way like it's not really I don't know I guess to us it really doesn't seem like a right. difficult fix you just sprinkle the women in there alongside the men that were there in chronological order <laughs> like yeah. it it also in in choosing the uh the harvard computers and um presenting women in science in this this particular story uh it kind of shows something else that's like a serious problem throughout the show is the kind of scientific lone genius and this this and this goes also with the whole idea of like fighting against the the ignorant authority um there are some other episodes that a little bit delve into that but this is the one where it's like science is a collaborative process look at all these ladies doing science together and Mm -hmm. uh whereas like isaac newton is a lone genius and bruno was a lone genius and uh that is, it's showing how hard it is, how hard a lot of people find uh, writing science as collaboration and the way that you kind of have to write science as collaboration if you're going to talk about women in science all over the place um, because of the way that women were not centered in, have not been centered in, like, the world. Yeah, it goes back to something we talk about a lot, which is how do you define science? And and they kind of skirted that question by saying, well, we'll have one episode where the science people are doing doesn't really look like the science that we show in other places, and then it's easier to include all these women, uh, and then we'll just go back to this other framing of scientific genius. I think that, yeah, like is fed by or feeds into or some there's just like a feedback loop there that goes back to the like the image of the 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 scientist the celebrity scientist mm-hmm. and of, of of Neil deGrasse Tyson in particular as this sort of like he is very comfortable portraying himself as this sort of like lone figure uh, standing up against a tidal wave of irrationality and that, like, he, you know, it's his duty as a scientist to to push back on people. And it's one of the things that makes him uh, absolutely one of the worst people on Twitter just because, like, he is ins- insufferable. But there is this idea that, like, he is this, like, lone figure uh, speaking out against... Uh, you know, speaking out in support of science and rationality because he's a, you know, he's a solitary, lone genius scientist. And I think that, like, his self-image feeds into Cosmos in that way mm-hmm. that kind of, like, it, it's, a, it's a way to index and order all of that uh, information, and so things get framed that way. And, you know, uh, apart from him being just, like, an insufferable pedant on social media like he's also like uh he's a he's an asshole and a harasser and so i you know we i think we should think about this like how much faith we want to put in these 
lone genius figures when they're, you know, you know, we're relying on them, I guess, to be science communicators and uh, to be the voice of reason in a, you know, unreasonable world or something. Like, who who are we letting speak for us in that sense, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, like, I... When I watched Cosmos, I thought it was fine. There were things I liked about it. There were things I didn't like about it. There were things I was inclined to like more about it than maybe it deserved because, again, historian Twitter were being obnoxious. Uh, (laughs) But it's one of... And it is one of those things that, in retrospect, as more about the way in which Neil deGrasse Tyson has harassed women, but also just the degree to which he has become more and more publicly obnoxious uh, has increased. I have looked back on Cosmos significantly less favorably. Uh, but And I think that is also be- not just because, oh, I, you know, not being able to separate a product from the person doing it, but because you do see his fingerprints on it and and the the things that i now go oh god he's the worst are reflected throughout the show and uh it it lets you connect the dots between the things that i didn't like where where in some ways you could say oh well that's just like things i didn't like but now you when you connect it with the person doing the thing you can kind of go oh no all the things i didn't like are actually the underlying thread holding this thing together uh Mm-hmm. It's a structural problem, not just a couple of pieces that were annoying. Well, then you both will be pleased to hear there will be a second season of Cosmos <gasps> <laughs> with Neil deGrasse Tyson. Yeah, yeah, they're just going to delay it and wait for everything to blow over, right. I guess, with his sexual harassment uh, accusations. Yeah. yeah. Well, I guess that's a good place to to wrap up. Actually, I want to end on a nice <laughs> on a nice note by saying that um, a new PBS show starring a women, a woman science communicator will be coming soon um, with um, Emily Grasley. Is that how you yeah. say her last name? Yeah. Um, in which she will be doing a tour of fossils in um, like the Dakotas in Nebraska, I think. Yes. That sounds awesome. Yeah. And yeah. you should follow Emily Grasley on twitter and watch her youtube show the brain scoop um because she's she's a great example of this like science communicator who like loves science and knows some stuff about science but is really there to like be um to introduce you to scientists as well as to scientific Mm -hmm. concepts uh so yeah. Definitely check her out, and also she is always offering amazing uh, suggestions for other women science communicators that you should follow on the internet in various ways. Um, well, yeah, so we'll end there. Um, be listening for the uh, bonus episode that we'll have, which is an interview that goes more deep into some of the TV shows and the historical um, aspect of science communication on TV. Um, So if you liked our episode today, please leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts so that new listeners can find us. If you have questions about any of the segments today, tweet us at at LadyXScience or hashtag LadySciPod. For show notes, episode transcripts, to sign up for a monthly newsletter, read monthly issues, pitch us an idea, and more, visit LadySciience.com. And we are an independent magazine, so we depend on the support from our readers and listeners. You can support us through a monthly donation with Patreon or through one-time donations. Just visit ladyscience.com donate. 
And until next time, you can find us on Facebook at, at @LadyScienceMag and on Twitter and Instagram at, at @LadyXScience.